Hi, podcast listeners. This is another chapter in the ongoing serialization of Fates Version Death Sunrise Hotel, a full-length novel that takes place in the Fates Version Death universe. We'll be doing one chapter every other week, uh, free on the podcast, or if you want to listen to or read the whole thing now, you can go to www.fatesworsendeath.com and buy the complete novel. When you buy the paper version of the novel, you'll get access to the complete audiobook that you can download in MP3 format. Fates First and Death Sunrise Hotel contains some pretty heavy subject matter, including some sexual violence, so these podcasts are intended for mature listeners only. Fates First and Death Sunrise Hotel, a novel by Brian St. Clair King. This story takes place in the world of Fate's Worse Than Death, the role-playing game. The Last Day Tina woke feeling ravenously hungry. She remembered that she hadn't eaten much the day before. Joe, Tabitha, and the baby were asleep, and Tina didn't want to wake them. She went to the bathroom. She put her hand down the neck of her armor and rubbed. She had slept in the armor, and the metal plates in the front had bit into her chest. It was also slightly damp inside the armor, and Tina's skin felt unpleasantly like it did if she was in the bathtub for too long. Tina smelled the inside of the armor. It smelled like leather and armpit stink. She could use a shower pretty badly, but didn't want to miss breakfast. Tina walked to the shelter. It was still raining fairly heavily, and the storm clouds above looked just as thick. With no umbrella, Tina walked with her wrists crossed over her head. The back of her head got soaking wet and chilled by the wind but the forearms over her glasses kept them from getting thoroughly wet. There was no line at the shelter. At first, Tina thought it must be closed, but there was an open doorway. She went towards it and she saw people inside. She wondered if it was too late. When she looked inside, though, she saw the place was packed with homeless people who were drinking coffee out of paper cups but had no food. There was a middle-aged homeless woman with two kids near the door, and Tina asked her what was going on. She told Tina they were having trouble with breakfast, but they were letting everyone wait inside and drink coffee until they got it worked out. Tina wondered what would happen when they started serving food, since there was no line. Tina hadn't seen it, but she had heard that there had once been a small riot in the Bowery Soup Kitchen because people were trying to get ahead of each other in line. The place was completely packed, and it took Tina a while to squeeze through to get a cup of coffee. It was weak, and there was no cream or sugar left, but it was steaming hot. It was just cool enough to drink by the time Tina found a place next to a wall where she could sit on the floor and wait. Big heaters were rolling hot air through the room, and cold wet air was blowing in through the open door. Tina hugged her knees to her chest, trying to warm up as she sipped her weak, hot coffee. After about half an hour, someone came out from the kitchen and stood behind the counter. She announced that there was enough food for everyone, but there would be no lunch that day. She listed off some shelters that were planning to serve lunch, and she admonished them to get there early. Then they brought out the food and started serving. An employee came through and forced people into a line, which snaked around the tables and all through the room. Tina ended up near the end of the line. When she got her food, though, they gave her a good-sized helping. It looked like both breakfast and lunch mixed together. There were soggy scrambled eggs, fake bacon, mashed potatoes, and half a ham and cheese sandwich. They apologized and said there was no silverware. Tina said it was okay. Tina found a spot near a wall and sat down on the floor, setting the tray on her knees. She ate the pieces of fake bacon with her hands, and then used the sandwich to sop up the mashed potatoes and eggs. The sandwich disappeared before the eggs, and she used a knife from her pocket to scrape the remaining eggs into her mouth. She dumped the tray and plate on a dirty dishes cart, got one more cup of coffee, and left. It was still raining out. She put one arm over her head to protect her glasses. With the other hand, she held the paper cup from the top, the back of her hand keeping cold rainwater from falling into and further diluting the coffee. Tina felt good, which came as a bit of a surprise. 
Usually this would be a terrible morning for her. Wet and cold, alone, no drugs, no prospects of getting any. Yet things felt more right than they had in a while. Was it her budding infatuation with Althea? She decided that was part of it, but that it was something more. By helping Iasia, and by kicking the nameless kid out of their room, Tina felt as if she had repudiated the self-destructive way of life that she had bought into for so long. It made her feel hopeful, and that felt good. The day seemed to be full of promise. Tina walked up to Broadway and panhandled under an overhang. A few people stopped, and after a few hours she had made almost three bucks. She decided to head back to the hotel and see what her roommates were doing for lunch. In the hotel, Tina noticed the young multiracial man who she thought of as Bible Guy. He was heading down the hall, and when he saw her, he hurried along faster. Tina jogged to catch up. She remembered what the old effeminate guy had said about him being sensitive. Tina caught up to him when he was at his door, fumbling at the lock. Excuse me, Tina said in a calm, soft voice. She forced herself to smile. He turned to look, but didn't say anything. He looked paradoxically neat and scruffy at the same time. His military surplus clothes didn't fit him well, and his hair looked like it had needed a cut for quite a while. But he had a rigidly straight posture, was clean-shaven, and smelled like someone who showered often. I... I just want to apologize, Tina said. Your friend, she motioned to the door of the effeminate man's room. He explained that you're sensitive. You might not believe this, but I'm sensitive too in my own way. He pursed his lips doubtfully. It's true, she said. When people say bad things about me, I just go to pieces. If you call me a stupid ugly bitch, he seemed to flinch at the words, despite Tina saying them calmly, I would probably lock myself away and cry all day. I... I just didn't understand, you know, that you're sensitive, or I wouldn't have pounded on your door like that. I just... I was worried about my friend is all. It looked like it took effort, but he managed to get out. That's okay. I'm Tina, by the way. Look, if you don't mind, I was hoping I could ask you a question. I think that sensitive people like us, we notice a lot of things that other people don't. I still haven't figured out what happened to my friend after she had that argument that you overheard. I was hoping you might have heard or seen anything, I don't know, just anything unusual. She gazed at him with a pleasant smile, and he refused to meet her eyes. Um, he said, can I get back to you? Sure, she said, sure, just just let me know, or write me a note, or whatever. Okay, he said, and unlocked the door. Inside the room, Tina could see that every wall was covered in religious pictures, pages from books, and handwritten notes. She slipped inside the door, but then paused, not closing it right away. There's one, um... Your friend with the glasses. Tina gave him a confused look. The one who lives downstairs. Tina realized he was talking about Clovis, the one studying for the gated community entrance tests. Yeah, Clovis. What about him? I just... You maybe shouldn't hang out with him. Why not? He hangs out with dangerous people. That didn't seem right to Tina. Was this a delusion, like Manny's insistence that psychics were out to get him? Like who? Tina asked kindly. There's three. Mean guys. Real mean. He made motions at his head and face that made no sense to Tina. Tina squinted at him. You mean like, one has spikes in his head? One has a big bulge in his pants? Three thug-looking guys? He nodded yes. With Clovis, the chubby guy with glasses and a ponytail. He nodded again. That didn't sound right to Tina. Clovis was a straight-laced geek. She didn't know anything about the three thugs, but they acted like major criminals. You're sure they're friends? He nodded. I've seen them waiting for him. Going with him, he pointed towards the window of his room. Standing in the hallway, her hands on her hips, Tina mentally reviewed everything she had learned. Someone, probably Tabitha, had called Tina's dad. Tina's dad came to try to bring his daughter home, mistook Marisol for Tina. Marisol panicked and stabbed Tina's dad, and then went to Clovis's room to call an ambulance. 
Marisol was probably scared that police or private security were coming after her, so she went to try to secure a room in another hotel, but the deposit was more than she had. What happened then, Tina didn't know. The crazy homeless guy might or might not have found Marisol's body, mutilated, in the trash near the hotel. Yasia thought she heard something that sounded like someone dragging a body down the stairs. There was the room upstairs that seemed like it might have been used as a kill room. Or was that just Tina being paranoid, imagining the worst? If it was, whoever was in the room had a key, which meant the manager was involved, even though he claimed nobody ever went up there. There were also the three thugs, which the manager claimed not to know, even though Laszlo the Gopher said he had seen him talking to them. And the three thugs might or might not have known Clovis, again based on the word of a crazy person. If they did know him, then how? He had been, by his own admission, a social phobic who only interacted with VR characters, until he gave up VR to study day and night for the entrance tests. He wasn't the sort of person who just happened to have some thugs for friends. Tina pulled at the green hair on top of her head. There were too many maybes, too many unanswered questions, too many people she thought were probably lying but couldn't get them to tell the truth. Tina decided to go see Clovis, see if she could get him to say anything new. On the way down the hall, she saw Yasia's door was open. She looked in and saw Yasia sitting on the bed, her head in her hands. She wasn't crying, but from the defeated slump of her body, it seemed she either had been or would be soon. Tina stopped, put her hand on the door sill. Yasia? she said softly. Yasia looked up, puffy-lidded eyes burning with rage. Get out! she yelled in a hoarse voice. Tina took a step back. Yasia stood up, was trembling. Get out of here! I hate you! I hate you! You ruined my life! He's gone and he wouldn't let me come with him! He left me here alone because of you! Just go home, Tina said. Call your parents! Have them come get you, or send you money for a bus ticket! Yasia only glared. Look, I don't know what's going on at home. Maybe your parents are mean to you. Maybe they beat or molest you. So tell them to send you a ticket, and when you get home, call the cops on them. Or learn to survive here in the city, but learn to do it on your own. Don't depend on some asshole that's going to beat you and sell you to pornographers. You loved me! She shouted. Look, Yasia, you've got to... You've got to be brave, or nothing is ever going to get better for you. You have to do the thing you're scared to do, whether that's learning to survive in the city, or whether it's going home. If you can't figure out what the best thing for your life is, and find the bravery to do it, then your life is going to be shit, and you're just going to keep getting beaten and fucked by creeps. Do you understand? She wiped some snot from her nose. Give me some money, she said angrily. What? How he took everything. I don't have shit. I don't even know how to contact those born guys. How he was the only one who knew how to get a hold of them. You're the one who fucked up my life. Give me some fucking money. I, I can't, Tina stammered. I don't have, I mean, I have a few bucks, but it's not even enough to make rent, which I have to pay today. Look, come stay with us or something, until you can get on your feet, figure out what you're doing. The Yasia's eyes seemed to soften, then they grew angry again. I hope you die, Yasia shouted and slammed the door. Tina waited a few seconds, then continued down the hall. Mariachi music was playing in someone's room. Tina could smell marijuana smoke in the hallway. She wondered what Iasia would do next. She guessed Iasia would do what most girls in the city who were desperate for money did, what Tina found herself doing so many times, find some way to sell her body. That made her think of Marisol. Marisol had been desperate for money after the stabbing. Had she gone to try to prostitute herself? Had some crazy John killed her? A thought made Tina stop. She turned around and went back to Iasia's room. She knocked on the door. There was no answer, so Tina called through the door. Iasia? I'm sorry, but this is important, real important. When you did that porn thing with Howie, 
Was it here in the hotel? Up on the top floor? Yasia, please. If you, if you did, you could be in a lot of danger. Yasia? The door opened a bit. Yasia peered out. It was upstairs, in an empty room, she said quietly. Fuck! Tina said, punching her thigh. And these porn guys. Was it three ugly guys? One had spikes in his head? Yeah. Tina put a hand against the wall. Shit. Okay. Yasia. Whatever you do, don't try to hook up with those guys again. I'm pretty sure they kill people. I think they killed my friend. In fact, I'm almost sure of it. Probably the only reason they didn't kill you before is because Howie was there. Now that you're alone, they'll think you're easy prey. Don't go near them, okay? Okay, she said, then remembering her anger. Fine! She closed the door again and locked it. Tina continued to Clovis's door. She knocked and introduced herself, and he answered quickly, inviting her in. He was smiling, but stopped when he noticed the look on Tina's face. What's wrong? he asked. She turned to face him. Three shady fuckers, heavily modded. Do you know them? She stared into his eyes, daring him to lie. And before you say anything, I want you to know that this is a murder investigation. I know I'm not a cop, but this is the closest thing to a real murder investigation Maricel is going to have. If you tell me a lie, you're going to have to admit to the psychometric fuckers that you told a lie in a murder investigation, okay? So just tell me, do you know these guys? He looked at her for a long time, a small frown on his lips, but his face otherwise blank. She couldn't tell what was going on with him. Was he trying to think of what to say? Finally, he said, Yes, I've met them. When? How? They came to my door, said they had a business proposition. And? I don't remember. What do you mean you don't remember? Tina asked angrily, feeling like he was toying with her. I have a blanker program. What? She demanded. It's a mental program. You get it if you want to do sensitive government or corporate work. When you activate it, you can think and act normally, but afterwards you don't remember anything that happened during the time you had it on. Tina put her hands on her hips. I get it, she said angrily. You don't want to have to admit to some corp entrance board to doing something illegal or immoral, but you also don't trust yourself to avoid temptation. So you got this program thinking you'll turn it on when you feel yourself being tempted. No, I got it to make myself more attractive to people hiring for sensitive positions. And so these three thug guys come to your door, say something about a business proposition, and you turn on the blanker. You know they're not coming to you with a legal proposition, and not sure you're going to tell them no, so you turn on the program. Is that about it? Clovis didn't say anything. And did they come again? Yes, he admitted. How many times? I don't know. Five, six, seven? And you don't remember anything you talked with them about? No, I always turned on the program as soon as they showed up. And do you always have more money after they show up? Yes. And have you ever seen these guys before they came to your door asking about a business proposition? Tina asked. No, never. But how did they know about you? I don't know, said Clovis. Fuck that I don't know shit. Do you advertise? Are you on some internet message board saying you'll do freelance computer shit? No, and even if I was, I would never put my address. So they must have heard about you. You must have bragged to someone about your computer skills, and someone told someone else, and then these guys know to show up at your door. So who you been talking to? More important, who you been talking to who knows what room you live in? I don't know, Clovis said nervously. I talk to people sometimes, here in the hotel, like I talk to you. Like who? I don't know, he said flustered. People around here, they just like to talk. 
They're a bunch of social misfits. They're lonely. They'll talk to anyone. Use any excuse. Mostly, I just want to get back to my room to keep studying. Tina thought. Someone had, she theorized, introduced Maricel to the three thugs. Then she thought of the pimp. She remembered him telling Tina he still had contacts in the business, and that she could come to him if she ever wanted to make some money. He had admitted to knowing Maricel. That old pimp guy. He looked confused, and so she said, Black guy, middle-aged, lives on the first floor? I talked to someone like that, yes. And did you mention you were good at computers? Yes, he said quietly. And did he ask you a bunch of questions? Did he ask if he could set up net sites to sell shit, like porn? Yes, he said even more quietly. And then, not much later, these creepy fuckers show up, right? Right. Tina sat on his bed and put her head in her hands, thinking. When it all started to come together, Tina uttered, Oh, shit. The pimp knew the three pornographers. He had hooked them up with Clovis to help them record pornography. The manager was in on it, too, renting the pornographers a room secretly, knowing they were up to no good, that there was no legitimate reason for three thugs to rent a room on the top floor. The pimp had known Maricel. He had admitted as much. It probably made Maricel the same offer he had made Tina, and when she needed money to move into another hotel, Maricel had gone to the pimp, and the pimp had called the pornographers. The pimp had probably also made contact with Howie, introduced him to the pornographers. He probably got a finer's fee. The pimp, the manager... Clovis, the three pornographers, were all making money from the arrangement. And why had they killed Maricel? The answer came to Tina easily, so easily that it made her disgusted with herself for being able to think so easily along those lines. For any given girl, one could only sell so many videos about her tied to a bed pretending to be raped. The people buying the porn would say, This again? I'm bored of this. If the pornographers wanted to keep selling videos of the same girl, they had to do something more extreme. So they made snuff films. They raped, tortured, mutilated, and killed any girl they didn't think would be missed. Tina found she had been staring at the floor. She lifted her eyes, glaring at Clovis. She stood. Her hands were in fists and trembling with anger. Fine! Well, fuck your blanker program, because I know something about these creepy fuckers, and I know the only reason they would ever hang out with you, and it's not because you're so fun to hang out with! Please, don't tell me. I don't want to know, begged Clovis. I don't give a fuck what you want! You played a part in what happened to my friend, and you're going to know what it is. He took a deep breath and looked up at a wall over Tina's shoulders. Tina slapped him and yelled, Don't you turn on that fucking blanker program! You're going to remember what I have to tell you. Do you fucking hear me? She glowered at him. He looked at the wall again. Tina knew he was trying to access a menu, and she slapped him again. Look at me, motherfucker. Look in my eyes, or I swear to God I will fucking stab you. He looked into her eyes, his chin trembling. These guys have been making rape and murder pornos. Full sense recording snuff films. They've been making them right here in this very hotel. And you have been recording them and putting them on some net site to sell. No, he sobbed. There's nothing else they could possibly want from you. I'm sure they told you it was just sex between consenting adults. But you know what? I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure that you watched. You're all, I have the blanker program on. I might as well watch some porn getting made. And so you must have seen them murdering my friend. And you could have called the cops. You could have tried to stop them, but you didn't. Now they were both crying. And I bet I know what you were thinking. I bet you thought, if I call the cops now, I'll never get into a gated community or corporation. He only sobbed. His head so far down, his chin touched his chest. She grabbed his hair and pulled his head up. You're going to help me get revenge on these fuckers, do you hear me? You're going to help me get them, or I'm going to fucking murder you. 
I can't. He sobbed. I don't even... She let go of his hair. Listen to me. You set this whole system up. Even if you don't remember, you know how you would have done it. You know what setup you would have used, what passwords you would have used. you got to know some way to hack into it. Use it against them. That might not be possible. Don't give me that. You're just saying it because you'd want it to be true. If you thought through it, you would figure it out. So figure it out. Figure out how to use your access to hurt them, or I swear I'm going to fucking cut you. I don't know. I guess the person doing the recording would have to get a standard jack, and then... All they would really need would be a cheap wireless interface, something the size of a wristwatch to hook into the jack, and then they could have it stream wirelessly to... He stopped. To your computer? Maybe. Or maybe to a laptop or storage device. No. It would be your computer, Tina said. You're the one putting the shit up on the net, so it makes sense it would go right to your computer. Anything extra would mean extra steps. Okay, Clovis admitted. I could have had it stream live to my computer, where I could capture it and put it online. So that means I have a direct line to the jack of the person doing the recording, and if I do the admin password for his wireless interface, I could push data back into his head. But they might not have given me that admin password. It gives me a lot of power. They're not scared of you, trust me. They think you're a wimp, and that they're the biggest badasses in the city. If you told them some technical thing they needed to do, or some detail they needed to remember, they would have said, Fuck no, this is boring, you take care of it. But even if I set a password, I don't remember what it is, he complained. So you would have set it for something easy for you to guess. You'll know what it is. Don't argue with me on this. So with that password, what could you do? Blind the guy? Temporarily, yes, but could you take over his body and have him attack one of the others? Yes, temporarily, but there are built-in safeguards in the mental software. He could turn off anything I'm doing to him. It only takes a second. A second if he's ever done it before, which he probably hasn't, so he'll have to figure it out. Who knows how long that will take? Besides, all we need is a second. He looked at her dolefully. Tita, I can't do this. If it doesn't work, they'll kill me. Tina pulled a knife out of her pocket and threw it. The blade embedded itself in the wall next to him. She stomped a few feet that separated them, pushing him back to the wall. They'll kill you? And you think I won't? You've gotten yourself into a bad situation here, Clovis. If you try to help me, but we fail, they kill you. If you don't try to help me, I kill you. If you try to sell me out so they kill me, my friends will kill you. You try to leave the hotel, my friends will kill you. You only have one hope for surviving this, and that's to help me beat these fuckers. Now, I'm going to lure these fuckers here, set a trap for them, make them think they're making a porno, and when they're all ready to record, I want you to take over the body of the one doing the recording, Find the closest asshole and smash his head into a wall. I'll have some poison knives, and while you provide a distraction, I just need to cut them once, and they go down. Understand? She stared at him. Yes, I understand. Say that you'll help me. Swear you will. But, Tina, I don't want to hear any excuses. You're full of excuses. Just swear you'll help me. Clovis sighed. I'll help you. I promise. I swear. I'll be back. I'll make an appointment to meet with these fuckers, and I'll tell you when. Keep your calendar open. She slammed the door of his room on the way out. In the hallway, she found she was hyperventilating. She wondered if she had just stepped down a path that would lead to her death. As much as she sometimes hated her life, she didn't want to die. Could she actually pull this off? Tina decided the more she thought about it, the more scared she would get, so she shouldn't think about it. 
She went down to the pimp's room and knocked on the door. After what seemed like a long wait, the pimp opened the door. He was acting slow, as if he was drunk or high, but trying hard to keep his composure. Can I come in? Tina asked with a timid smile. He grinned back. Sitting across from him in a chair, as he sat on his